0: As we continue in our series on the church, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter six, Acts chapter six. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, what I would encourage you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents. You'll find there that the Bible has two main sections in it, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. So find the New Testament, five books in his Acts, go to Acts chapter six. If you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible and go to about two thirds of the way down that list, you'll find Acts. So Acts chapter six. Now I want to stop and ask, what do you think the religious leaders are thinking during this time? We, we've covered all of the, the, first part, the first five chapters of the book of Acts, we've seen how God has sent his Holy Spirit, how thousands of people have become followers of Jesus, how the apostles, the the original guys who followed Jesus and are now beginning the new church, uh, the first church, um, how they've been arrested, they've been threatened and persecuted, and yet they continue to go and tell others about Jesus. Uh, last week, we studied about how the church, how p- followers of Christ are called to serve uh, out of a passage that uh, shows us how they met the needs by electing seven men who would go and, and uh, uh, serve the needs of the needy within the church. And of those seven men, one, the first one that's mentioned is a man named Stephen. And Stephen is the guy that we're gonna focus on today, but before we get to talking about Stephen, what do you think the religious leaders of that day and time thought about this brand new movement, this religious movement that's taking place? Well, think about it for a minute. The religious leaders direct what's going on at the temple, and the early church is meeting in a covered area that's attached to the side of the temple, literally, the thing that the the religious leaders are opposed to are meeting right there off the side of their building. And I'm sure at the minimum, they were at least skeptical about what's going on. You know, who are these guys? What are they doing? What do they believe? I'm sure they felt threatened by the spread of this new movement. Most of them, were in opposition to what the early church believed and taught. But I also think that most of them, if you read the book of Acts and the the four gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read those books, you're also going to notice that they weren't just concerned about teaching, but they were concerned about losing their authority and power as well. And it's something to think about. You know, if, if I was a religious leader, you know, if I was a, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher back in that day and time, I'd probably feel the same way, to be totally honest. You know, if some group was meeting next to my church and they were teaching things that I didn't agree with, I'd, I'd kick them off campus. And that's kind of what's going on here with the early church. I would probably feel similar feelings. I would f- probably feel similar threats that the early religious leaders were feeling here. So what happens next? What happens with Stephen? Look with me now in your Bible or your app, app and turn with me to Acts chapter six. Now you're gonna to wanna to hold the, your app open or your Bible open, because we're going to be kind of bouncing through several passages in uh, a couple of chapters right here uh, in this portion of Acts. And so keep your Bibles open. But w- look with me in Acts 6, starting in verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And it says this, and Stephen... Remember, Stephen is one of the seven guys that they just elected in the previous verses. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, "'We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God.' And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council." And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and against the law. So Stephen has been taken in. He is uh, working uh, towards uh, you know, spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And suddenly a group of men basically hire or instigate or convince somebody to say some slanderous things about him. And so they take Stephen, they, they arrest him basically, and in front of the court that is it, that Stephen is in front of, Stephen gives this amazing speech, and you can continue reading. Uh, it's, it covers the rest of the chapter uh, of chapter six and most of chapter seven, but basically he speaks about Abraham and how God had called him to move away from the place he lived to an unknown area out of faith. Then he speaks about Joseph and how Joseph was sold into slavery, but how that slavery was used by God, was actually planned by God to save the people of Israel from a famine that was taking place. Then he talks about how the people, the, the the people of God, through Joseph, moved into the land of Egypt and thrived there, and how hundreds of years later Moses was born, and in the midst of that he was uh, raised, and he saw the oppression of the Israelites. He was ultimately driven out of the land of Israel. God appeared to him, sent appeared to him, sent him back to Egypt and used Moses to set the people free from the slavery and oppression that they were enduring under the Egyptians. He then goes on to talk about how almost immediately the people lost faith in God. They started complaining and disputing and pushing against God's leadership and God's plans. He then speaks about how God, how God spoke to Moses And because of what the people had done, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land. And then uh, he goes on to describe what God did between the time of Moses and King David, especially with the building of the temple. And then we get to Acts chapter 7, verse 51. So open your Bibles again, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51. And look at what it says here. This is Stephen speaking. It's at the very end of this very long sermon that he gives in front of the religious leaders. And he says this, verse 51 of Acts 7. He says, "'You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, "'you always resist the Holy Spirit "'as your fathers did, so do you. "'Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute?' And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and yet did not keep it. Whew. Those are some heavy, heavy words that Stephen gives to these religious leaders of this day. Now, I want you to please recognize what I just said. He is speaking not to unbelievers. He is speaking to people who follow God, not just God followers, but the religious leaders of Stephen's day. So we in particular, as religious people, should also pay attention to what he said. It's very harsh and it's blunt and he does not mince his words, but it is truth, in that moment. So what is he talking about? Well, let's go back and think about what has taken place. What's gotten Stephen into this situation? Why was he arrested? He's arrested for doing miracles, wonders, and telling people about Jesus, spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And so with that understanding, what is he saying here in this passage? He is condemning those religious leaders in that moment. You see, they were more concerned about holding on to their power than they were to listening to what God was actually doing. They were more concerned about holding on to their legalism and their traditions than they were in following who God had sent to them the prophet, priest, and king, Jesus, the Messiah. Rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit and recognizing Jesus as the Christ, they decided to push against and persecute Jesus and his followers. So what does this passage teach? What are we supposed to learn about this passage? Well, obviously, uh, Stephen gives an amazing uh, summary, a synopsis of the Old Testament and how God had led his people all the way through from creation to then, to that point where Stephen's speaking. And he's teaching, He's, he's showing the religious leaders how God had used faith every step of the way and that god had a plan and that plan was going to happen no matter what the people in the world did but what does that mean to us today well that brings me to today's big idea and the direction that we're going to be going with the rest of today's message if you've ever watched one of my sermons, you know that I usually give one simple statement, a big idea, and it's it's a summary uh, of the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this mission matters more than material might. Let me say that again. Mission matters more than material might. You see, if you think about this in comparison. Think about the mission that Jesus has for us compared to all of the other things. The mission is more important than any of those other things. Our politics, in light of our mission from Jesus, our politics do not matter. Whether politics within a church or politics in the government, state, city, national, world, none of that really matters in comparison to the mission. The flow of money, whether whether we've got money at a church or in our own pockets or whatever, money doesn't matter in light of the mission. Our legalism and our traditions certainly don't matter in light of the mission. If our legalism or if our traditions get in the way or hinder in any way the mission that Jesus has for us, that legalism and those traditions need to go away. Now, Please hear me clearly before you jump to any conclusions. I am not saying that those things are not important. They are. You know, the, I'm not saying that, uh, that politics doesn't have a place. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about finances. I'm not saying that traditions are bad. What I'm saying is, if we value any of these more than the mission— we are in idolatry. We're in idolatry if the mission takes a backseat to anything. So if we're pursuing the mission of Jesus in obedience to him, then he'll make sure that the politics and the leadership and all that stuff is correct. He'll take care of that. If we are following the mission in obedience to him, then he's gonna make sure that we have the funding we need to fulfill that mission. If we're pursuing the mission of Jesus in obedience to him, he'll make sure that we're following the rules and the traditions and the guidelines that we're supposed to be following. He'll make sure of all of that. He will be the one to purify us, but only when our mission is to truly follow him, as long as our mission is Jesus. And let me demonstrate what I'm talking about uh, out of today's account from the life of the early church. Look with me again at chapter seven. We're gonna look at verse 53. Chapter seven, verse 53. Again, this is Stephen talking. This is the last statement in his message that he's just given to the religious leaders and look at what he says you who received the law as delivered by angels and yet you did not keep it that's heavy that's harsh he is accusing them of not following the very laws that they claim to be pursuing the laws that were given to them by prophets and messengers and angels. They're not even following those. So what is the law? What are the guidelines that have been given to us as the church, as followers of Jesus? What are we supposed to be doing? What mission are we supposed to be fulfilling? Well, I personally think that it breaks down into three main areas for our lives. Uh, The first one comes out of John 14, 15. John 14, 15 says, it's Jesus speaking. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so it's very simple. If we're following Jesus, we need to live a life that reflects Jesus himself. We need to be moral people for lack of a better better way to say it, we're called to live morally. Go read Galatians chapter five and see an outline of what morality looks like, the do's and don'ts, the boundaries that God has placed on our lives to keep us in his will. So first is, uh, what law are we supposed to be following that's been delivered to us by Jesus? Live morally. That's the first one. The second one is found in Matthew 20, 22, specifically verses 37 through 40. It says this And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depend all the law and prophets. You see, we're called to love God and love others. Simple. Loving God means that we, again, obey what he's told us to do, that, that we value him, that we invest in the journey with Jesus that he has placed us on, that we spend time in relationship through prayer and reading and fasting and, and doing the things that he's called us to do that's loving God. And then we love others. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We go out and we make a difference in this community by loving people and serving them and sharing how God has changed our lives, inviting them to church, which leads me to the second one. This is a subset of the first commandment or the the greatest commandment that we just read, love God and love others. John 13 verses 34 through 35 says, and this is Jesus speaking again. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So love God, love others. But Jesus adds a little caveat caveat in there and says, but love one another as well. People will know that you're my followers if you love one another. So how do we follow what Jesus has delivered to us? The first one was live morally. The second one is love God, love others. And specifically, even a little step further is love one another. And the third one is what's called the great commission. It's found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it says there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Basically, we're called, we're commanded the great commission is to go and tell others about Jesus. Make disciples. Well, the word disciple means a student, a follower. We are called to go and spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus to everyone around us so that they can become followers of Jesus as well. And so we're called to tell others about Jesus. So think about this for a second. We're supposed to be different from everything around us. We're we're supposed to be different from the world and the people of the world. And here's why, or here's how we live morally. We love God and love others and love one another. And we tell others about Jesus. That's what Jesus has called us and, and told us we're supposed to be doing. And maybe you're listening right now and maybe you're not on a journey with Jesus. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't believe in him. But maybe some of this is resonating with you. Maybe you're listening and saying, you know what, this this living differently sounds interesting or sounds right. Let me explain exactly what following Jesus is. You see, Jesus was not just a man or even a good teacher or prophet. Jesus was and is the one and only son of God. He came to this earth. And yes, he he taught us a lot of amazing teachings. But the main point was that he died on a cross to save us from our sins. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. You see, the reality is, is that every person who's ever been born except for Jesus, is a sinner. And that sin, which is technically the ways that we are criminals, the way we've disobeyed God and made ourselves criminals in the eyes of God, our sin condemns us to an eternity of punishment. But Jesus came and when he died on that cross, he paid the ultimate price. He paid for your punishment. And if you will believe in him, and follow him and proclaim him, you can have that eternity in punishment wiped away and instead have eternity in perfection with Jesus. And if you've got questions about that or you want to know more, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your device and I want you to text the word changing to nine four zero zero zero. That's the word changing to 94000. We'll reach out to you and we would love the opportunity to answer any questions that you might have about Jesus or what it looks like to begin a journey, to begin following Jesus. And so reach out to us. Don't hesitate to do that. So I've listed three ways that Jesus calls us to follow him live morally follow the greatest commandments, meaning love God, love others, and love one another. And third, do the great commission. Go tell others about Jesus. Make uh, disciples, make followers for Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Do you think that we are good at doing these three things? We as a church you and, and those around you who follow Jesus, are we good at doing exactly what I'm talking about here? Well, let me kind of unpack what we know uh, about these three areas of our lives. First off, are we moral people? As a follower of Jesus, are Jesus followers generally moral? Well, actually, yes. If you look at statistics, you'll find that uh, Christians in general in the United States uh, give more to charity, Um, they have lower divorce rates. Uh, Followers of Jesus, regular church attenders who live life for Jesus outside of the church have far smaller divorce rates than those who do not know Jesus or those that claim to know Jesus but aren't really following him. We have lower rates of cheating in relationships as followers of Jesus. Again, we do more charity work. A great example is uh, the vast majority of foster care families identify as followers of Jesus. Uh, It's something like uh, 60 some odd percent. And so the fact of the matter is, is that as a follower of Jesus, if you're truly a follower, not just in word, but in lifestyle, followers of Jesus generally do live more moral lives. So the second question is, are we fulfilling the Great Commission or or the Great Commandments, love God, love others? Well, that could be debated. You know, all the studies that have been done in the last three or four decades have have shown that the people who don't attend church generally believe that churchgoers are judgy and, and hypocritical and things like that, which means that we're not doing a great job of loving God and loving others. Quite honestly, in the last couple of years, we've seen an escalation of disunity in the church. And that's a problem. You know, we're supposed to be loving one another. Jesus goes so far as to say that the world will know that we're followers of Jesus by the way that we love one another. And so the disunity that we see a lot in today's church, that's a problem. Because it's in direct disobedience to what God has commanded us to do. You know, let's be honest for a minute. There are a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus who value money, who value power, who value their opinions more than they, follow, than they uh, value the church or the mission that Jesus has for them. And so my encouragement to you today would be be different. As a follower of Jesus, we're called to be radically different than the world around us. And so be different, love God and love others in a radical way, in a way that makes the world stop and pay attention because it's so radical. It's so different. The third area. uh, So are we moral? Are we fulfilling the great commandments by loving God and loving others? The third area is, are we fulfilling the great commission by telling others about Jesus? And guys, I'm going to be very honest. This is the area where we struggle the most as the modern church here in America and as followers of Christ here in America. Uh there I've got a graphic up. I want you to see this graphic. It shows that 55% of people who claim to be Christians have not told a single person about Jesus in the past six months. That's awful. The fact that more than half of those who claim to be Christians are not telling people about Jesus at all, that's a problem. But the rest of the numbers are not great. The rest of the 45% are still not doing a great job. And we must learn to be better about fulfilling the Great Commission to go and make disciples. I think part of the problem that we see in today's world is that we're too busy with all of the distractions. You know, we get so busy complaining and protesting the things that we don't like, the, the, the directions of the culture or the country or whatever. We're too busy worrying and fighting against the things we're afraid of in this world, the boogeymen that are gonna come and disrupt our lives or destroy the church. But let me be very honest with you for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life and your comfort take a back seat to the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is more important than you. And there's nothing in this world, there's no philosophy, there's no government, there's, there's, there's no worldview that's going to come along that can stand up to the power and the plan of Jesus. You see, Marxism, communism, Critical race theory, controversies, conspiracy theories, politics, government, oppression, persecution, nothing can stand in the way of Jesus. Jesus will be triumphant because here's the fact of the matter. He already is triumphant. Jesus has already won. None of these things that I listed or anything else is going to get in the way of the mission of Jesus. Nothing. So stop worrying so much. And stop uh, telling people about all these controversies and the things that are you're upset with and start telling people about Jesus. Let me be frank with you for a moment. It's not as harsh as Stephen, I don't think, but, but let me be honest and brutal and blunt for a moment. We spend so much time in all of these distractions. If we spent as much time telling others about Jesus as we spend watching the news or reading from hate spreading and fear spreading bloggers or or studying the latest controversy, if we did spend as much time telling people about Jesus as we did in these other areas, this nation would be changed for Jesus. We would see a revival, the likes of which we have not seen in all of history. But the fact of the matter is, is we spend far too much time with all of the side stuff, all of the distractions that ultimately don't do us any good, that don't help us spread the name of Jesus, don't help us make disciples for Jesus as Matthew 28 commands that we do. They're distractions. Let me give you a glimpse. If you were to continue Reading, which we will in the next weeks, we're gonna be continuing to cover the book of Acts. So we're getting there, but let me give you a quick glimpse as to what happens after this passage. You see, Stephen gives this amazing, beautiful speech and the religious leaders get enraged by it. They're furious that Stephen would say all these things. And Stephen is stoned to death. He's killed for his faith, for speaking the truth, for telling others about Jesus. And as a result, persecution increases. Most Christians are driven away from the city of Jerusalem and they're scattered. And you may think, man, this is worst case scenario. This is really bad. This is horrible thing to happen. But here's the thing, it's because of that It's because of the death of Stephen and the scattering of the church that the church spreads to the surrounding areas of Jerusalem and Israel and Samaria and the ends of the earth, just as Matthew 28, the Great Commission, commands us to do. God uses this instance to make his church go all over the world. Nothing can stop Jesus. Nothing can stop the mission that Jesus has for us. So what should you do? What's the next step? Well, let me just say it very clearly. Quit worrying about the things of this world. Nothing is going to stop Jesus and his church. There's no teaching or philosophy or politician or party that can stop the plan that Jesus has. As a matter of fact, the New Testament over and over teaches that Jesus in fact has already figured out that plan and that nothing will get in its way. So stop worrying about the things of the world around us and instead live according to the way that Jesus has called you to live. Love Love God and love others, love one another. Stop spending so much time watching cable news and go read your Bible and pray and tell people about Jesus. Stop listening to all the hateful, fear spreading bloggers and video guys that are out there and go watch a godly preacher. Go read this book and spend some time in prayer and tell people about Jesus. Quit spending time in the things that distract you from doing the mission that Jesus has for you and go out and lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we pray that you would direct our hearts and our minds to stop paying attention to all the distractions, And instead, to focus on you. Help us, Lord, to understand what it is that you're calling us to do so that we can tell others about Jesus, so that we can live morally, that we can love you and love others, and we can fulfill the great commission to go and make disciples. Help us to do that. Help us to follow what it is that you're telling us to do. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.